Hello and welcome to the Petrie Podcast. Today's guest is Sky Sports football commentator Gary Taphouse, who I really enjoy interviewing. Gary is tireless in his efforts to help upcoming sports broadcasters and students through doing interviews like this. He also lectures students plus posts sports media jobs on the daily on his Twitter. Truly a good guy who is always happy to help and I'm very grateful he could spare me an hour of his time. I hope you enjoy. Well, Gary, first of all, thanks for coming on. I really, really, really appreciate it. I've got nothing else to do, so why not? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, start, I'll start off with a, a really basic question. You've already had it loads of times. Um, but, you know, where did you first get inspired uh, to become a commentator? Because it's not the sort of, I guess, classic profession that uh, many, when they're younger, say, you know, this is what I want to do when I'm older. Oh, I don't know. I think a lot of um, I think a lot of kids do actually. Um, for me, it was um, Italia '90. Watching that World Cup, that was the first World Cup where I watched virtually every game. I mean, obviously, some of them were during school time. I think even then, we managed to watch some at school. And some great commentators around at that time of that World Cup: John Watson, Barry Davis, Brian Moore, Teddy Gummer. Um, and just listening to those guys, I just thought, wow, this is just incredible. You can do this for a job. You know, you can actually watch football and bring it into people's living rooms as a job. And from that moment on, I just thought that is what I want to do. Um, so every decision that I took from there on in, whether it was A-levels or um, gap year or university, what I did at university, it was all with that in mind um, because, you know, I genuinely believed I could do it. And, of course, I got obsessed with radio as well. Um, you know, obviously, the football correspondent of BBC at that time was Mike Kingham, um, and Jonathan Pierce was starting on, on Capital Gold doing his thing. Um, and eventually, I ended up working for him on Capital Gold. So, you know, it was... Uh, I would I would record that show sports Capital Gold Sports Time and just listen to it over and over again and um, and just try and understand the job. Just I became obsessed with actually watching football more for the commentary than the actual football. That's how obsessive I was back in those days. So um, it was about learning the craft from a very young age or trying to understand. Um, why they said what they said, and of course, crucially, why they didn't say uh, anything at, at certain times. Um, it was just, uh, it, it was just a very much something that I craved to do, and, I, and I'm so happy I ended up doing it because I'm not sure what else I'd have done. When you when you started out, did you did you sort of think to yourself, um, you know? I, I imagine when you were younger and you first imagined it, you thought, did you, did you, was it, did you sort of on the road getting there? Did you sort of realize, okay, maybe this is, this might be a bit harder than I thought it was going to be? Or did you always know that this is, it's going to take a lot of graft? Uh, I think I always wondered how I would start off. And, you know, you, like anything in this industry or in media generally, you do need that bit of good fortune. And, I was at Bournemouth University studying journalism, and in my final year, um, I was living with these um, these great guys, and the, there was a girl there, and she was going out with someone much older. He was a cameraman for a local production company, um, really lovely guy, and um, I got talking to him, and he said that his production company filmed all of Bournemouth's home games for the club, 
So there would be a VHS available. If you remember what that is, Cameron, you're probably too young. Um, <laughs> a very free home game. Um, and it was just a one camera job, but they said they did want commentary on it. And they had a couple of guys they were using they weren't really happy with. And I said, well, my God, this is my dream. I would love to give that a go. And he said, great, well, why didn't you come along to the next home game, which was against Bristol Rovers. This is 1997. Um, and of course, Bournemouth back then were third tier in massive financial trouble, very rickety old stadium, um, 90 degrees the other way from where it is now, but on the same site. And the gantry was this uh, rusting um, <laughs> hulk, the wretch of, a, of the gantry. We had to go up this horrible old ladder. Um, but I was just in dreamland. I was there on a Tuesday night. Um, with just a camera plugged in, a microphone plugged into the camera. And uh, it was just me commentating on Bournemouth against Bristol Rovers. And I just thought, this is, this is it. I know this is what I want to do. Um, it went okay. It wasn't brilliant. But um, they asked me to do every other home game that season. And they also asked me to write and present the end of season um, video, which was brilliant because that ends up not just in the club shop, but in um, HMV in Bournemouth. So... To actually walk into HMV and, and see it was just unbelievable. Um, I scripted the whole thing and presented it and voiced it, edited it with the production company. Um, and so when I left university, I had that tangible bit of uh, commentary of 90 minutes in my hand. And I was able to use that as my tool for moving on. And when I left university, um, I got a job not in sport, it was in news on my local newspaper. Guardian, and um, funnily enough, one of the first jobs they sent me to was the launch of Palace Radio, Crystal Palace, um, who had just been promoted to the Premier League. They launched a match day uh, radio station from ten till six, I think, on match day, and of course they needed commentary as well. So. We went along to the launch, which was at Crystal Palace against Blackburn Rovers in one of the executive boxes. And they had the radio station pumping through the, the speaker in the box. <laughs> and I listened to the commentary and I thought, well, that's obviously a fan and he's enthusiastic, but it's not necessarily the greatest commentary in terms of the service that you want it to provide, telling me where the ball is, what's happening. Um, so I said to the guy who was running it, I said, look, I've had some experience in commentary. I haven't done radio, but... I'd love to give it a try if you want me to, to do it. And he was like, yeah, great. Come along to the next game against Chelsea. And I did. Um, did the commentary with someone else. And I ended up doing that for about two or three years, every, every home game. Um, and funnily enough, it was from that that I ended up working for Capital Gold because I would sit with uh, next to the guys working for Capital Gold and I got talking to them. And I said, you know, I really want to do this. Um, and so that within a couple of years of doing that, I was uh, I was being sent to Fulham against Hartlepool in the FA Cup, doing updates into Capital Gold Sports Time. So that just felt like I'd fulfilled the dream because I'd been listening to that for so many years. And there I was with Jonathan Pierce queuing to me. So that's how it started, really. Um, and if you want me to carry on, I can. Uh, no, I do, I do, I do. I, I'm being, I'm being wary of not, not, not saying yes, yes, because it, it cuts the audio a bit. Then um. I know it, it's just me talking about myself. You know, my favourite thing. Um, <laughs> but, 
funnily enough, what I what I found one of the biggest hurdles was working full time in sport broadcasting because there was a lot of me going to a match on a Saturday, but what I couldn't do was make that jump from working in news during the week and working at sport at the weekend. And I really enjoyed working on the local newspaper, really enjoyed it, but um, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do long term. And I got a job at Opta, the stats people. This was uh, 1998, so it was a very, very small company back then, not the huge worldwide beast it is now. Yeah. There was only you know, half, half a dozen people working there. Um, and that was, I started just after the 98 World Cup. And I stayed there for a few years doing that um, during the week, doing commentary during the weekend. So I was very much now totally in sport, but I still, you know, craved this broadcasting career. And luckily in 2001, um, I saw an advert in the Media Guardian for um, commentators and reporters for a new sports broadcasting company. And they open 24-hour digital radio stations at Chelsea, Southampton, um, Derby County, maybe one other, I'm going back a bit. Um, but I thought, well, if I could get a job at Chelsea, I was living in South London, that would just be amazing. Um, and sure enough, I got the job. And so for the next five years, I was working full-time at Chelsea Football Club, um, commentating home and away on their matches and that was a real step forward because I was traveling a lot of the time with the team, Champions League away games, um, going off to Barcelona and, <laughs> and Moscow, you know that was just absolutely incredible. Working with Kerry Dixon who of course at the time was the club's um, all-time second leading goal scorer and that just taught me everything about how a radio station works um, obviously it improved my commentary no end because I was doing sometimes three games a week but not only that I was hosting and interviewing um, putting packages together um, you know I had a free reign really and that was absolutely incredible and funnily enough the the company which launched it digital radio was in its infancy back then and unfortunately yeah. they launched a bit too soon because they just couldn't get the take up or the advertising, when the company folded, the rights were bought by Smooth FM, which is now Smooth Radio. And, you know, it sounds bizarre, but um, it was a, a soul station buying football rights. And they bought the rights to all the Chelsea games. And they said to me, we like what you and Kerry do. Can you carry on doing it for us? I was like, fantastic. So suddenly I was on FM in London for every Chelsea game. Um, and again, that felt like another step up. And of course, by doing all these Chelsea matches, I was coming into contact with the likes of Martin Tyler and Rob Hawthorne, loads of people from Sky, because this was the Abramovich, Abram Abramovich era. They had just taken over and there was so much interest in Chelsea. Um, and uh, in 2005, that's when football first launched, which is now Match Choice. So every Premier League game, even the three o'clock ones had commentators. And at that time, Sky were actually quite short of commentators. They, they were really scratching around. They were using some reporters and they were stealing people from Soccer Saturday. <laughs> so I said to Martin Tyler and Rob Hawthorne, look, I would really love to be involved in that. 
Um, I don't have any TV experience, but I can give you a copy of one of my matches. Could you put in a word for me? And they both did, amazingly. Um, and after I badgered the producer for literally months, he eventually gave me an opportunity. This was April 2005. It was Fulham against Manchester City towards the end of the season. Not a lot on the game, but still, you know, live in 200 countries. Um, and I was there with Nigel Spackman. And that was, that was age 29. So it took me all that time uh, working up and up and up to finally do a game for TV. Um, and I've been there ever since. 15 years later, I'm still there. So um, that really was like the final sort of rung on the ladder. Um, but it took a lot of persistence and a lot of badgering, a lot of phone calls and emails and just constantly having to believe in yourself and believe that it is possible to get there. Did you ever think at a time period, is, is this worth it when you're pouring down with rain on a, you know, a Saturday night or something and all your friends are, on, are out for someone's birthday or some sort of scenario like that? Did you ever question it or not? Um, I think when you, when you go into football or any sport, really, you know that unsociable hours are a part of it. So, yeah, I missed weddings, friends' weddings. Um, later on, I struggled to make my own kids' birthday parties. You know, we might have to make them Sunday evening so I could be there. Um, but that's an occupational hazard. And, you know, whatever job you go into, there's always compromises. So, no, I never thought, should I be doing this? It was always what I wanted to do. And I, I never, ever felt... I shouldn't be doing this, maybe I should look at something else. My wife might feel differently. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I've never felt it. Is it so you, you don't really feel like you made uh, you know, a sacrifice then, or sacrifices, or, 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 do, you, or do you feel no, you made No, no, not at all. And the, the thing is, when, you, when I later had kids, it was actually an incredible job to do, because I was around so much during the week. Um, so when my wife wasn't around because she was working, I was around and when I was working, she was there. So it was actually fantastic for, um, for being a family man because our kids never needed childcare. One of us or both of us were always around. So whilst you may miss out on social things on a Saturday, um, there's, a, there's a trade-off. So no, I, I, I never felt like there was a sacrifice there. So you actually reckon as you got older, it probably actually got, if anything, there was probably more sort of life balance, if anything, than, than maybe when you were younger. Absolutely, yeah. Maybe uh, 20s, not so much, because you're right. Um, although having said that, you know, I was all, obviously, a lot of my friends were massively into football as well. And don't forget, growing up, I was going to football every week with them. So it's not like I was the only one in my circle of friends who who uh, liked football. So, oh, okay, I was going up and down the country and I wouldn't be back on a Saturday night, perhaps. But, you know, you've got to make a decision, haven't you? Do I want to be doing a job I don't like and have a fantastic social life on a Saturday? Or do I actually want to do what I've always dreamt of doing and maybe miss the odd night out? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, I, I I would say it's a no-brainer. And, and, and on, on earlier, I, I think I worded the question wrong. I think I, think I said... Um, not every kid's dream. I think what I meant was, was that I think a stereotypical job probably isn't a sports commentator. No, that's fair. That is yeah. true. And I, I think 
certainly I was the only one I knew growing up who had that ambition. That is true. Yeah, because I'm, um, you know, you, you sort of, um, I imagine it's, it's in, it's not, I wouldn't say it's in the league of maybe like a musical artist, you know, or, or a, a rapper or something, but it, I wouldn't say it's actually that far off in comparison to your standard professions. I think a lot of people see it as, why did you want to do that? Or <laughs> how did you get into that? You know, I, uh, like I say, as a 14-year-old, it never really occurred to me that that could be a job until I watched that World Cup and realised that people were doing that full-time for a living. And I think, I don't think it necessarily enters a lot of people's heads that it's the sort of thing that you can do as a job, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's niche, isn't it? It, it's massively niche. Uh, it's it's massively massively niche. So especially, I guess the good thing with choosing football as well is that the market is so much bigger for being a commentator. That also means it's a lot more competitive. But there's also, I guess, more work in comparison to say, you know, darts or you know other other sports. Well, exactly. And like I said to you, for me, the timing was just absolutely perfect because there was suddenly this demand for commentators because they were doing more and more games. And they didn't have that capacity, so they were using freelancers. Um, someone coming into TV commentary now would find it much harder because there, although there's a lot of football, there are now a lot more commentators out there and a lot of established commentators out there. So, again, it's all about good fortune, but about taking that opportunity when the good fortune comes along. Did, did you ever find... Uh... I mean, obviously, I imagine you, you always believed in your own ability to, to be a commentator. W were nerves ever a problem, especially when you made that? God, absolutely. God, I mean, massively. Not so much with radio, because you don't really have time to be nervous. You're just talking all the time. TV is very, very different, because you've got people in your ear all the time. Um, so, we, for, for example, on a Saturday, 3 o'clock, we go on air around the world um, at uh, 2.50. And um, in your ear then, you've got the Sky director who's at the ground with you, um, talking to not just you, but everyone else on the OB. You've also got the World Feed director back at Stockley Park, um, who's talking to you about their needs. And, and a lot of the time, they're talking all the time. Um, and obviously, I wasn't ready for that at all so that first game in 2005 you know when it started I was just like I can't believe this, this is just what is going on and I felt physically sick um, and it's only really when the game started and I was just doing my thing um, commentating that's when I, that's that, that's the first time I actually relaxed but even then you are talking with the director off air because you you might think right we need a shot of of this person now like you might be talking about um a great save the goalkeepers made so you might say to the director can we go to a shot of the goalkeeping coach because i happen to know they've been working on that this week you know obviously you're, you're, you're pressing the lazy button on your um on the keypad and the, the, the audience can't hear it but you're still having that conversation and commentating at the same time so um i think there's a lot to the job that people don't see and don't realize I don't think people realise how much people are talking in your ear during the game. Can, can, you, um, can you tone that down? Like, what, as in the volume of that or not? You can, but you don't because they're frequently talking to you. 
Obviously, okay. they're not always talking to you. They might be talking to different cameramen or different um, replay guys, but you know they'll they'll say your name, and that's when I just filter it all out until you hear your name. Sometimes you might be on a, an OB where there's a cameraman called Gary, um, oh, and then you and then you and then you're listening to that, and you actually don't need to be listening to it because he's talking about a shot that's nothing to do with you. Um, but yeah, what you learn very quickly is to just filter it out. You know, imagine someone ranting at you and you're just not in the mood to listen and you just completely <laughs> shut it out. Um, that's what you end up doing until you hear your name and then you know it, you've got to listen. Um, but yeah, so what happens a lot of the time is the co-commentator might turn it down because a lot of it's not really aimed at them. Um, but I, I can't turn it down because it, it might be aimed at me. How hard was that sort of, I guess, multitasking? And also, because you obviously want to make sure your commentary is good itself, but then obviously camera angles and other other jobs as well. How hard was it to sort of adapt those at the same time of making sure your commentary still to an efficient standard? Well, you know, obviously you work with some incredibly talented directors who, if you didn't talk to them throughout the whole game, um, they would produce uh, absolutely top quality broadcast you're only perhaps chipping in every so often with some ideas which they might take on board or they might not um you know for example if i'm doing um i'm going to get quite in involved now but some of the three o'clock games are produced by sky and some of them are produced by the bbc but they all have commentators from both so if I'm at a Sky OB, outside broadcast, I can talk to the Sky director. If I'm at a BBC outside broadcast, I can hear the director, but I can't communicate with them. So we're at the mercy of what they show us. We've got no say at all. Um, so that's why we all have to work together to make sure that I don't want them going to a shot of someone and I don't know who it is. So we, you know, we need to have a communication at all times and, and vice versa. Um, so obviously I'm not thinking about camera angles and shots. That's entirely down to the director um, working with the camera guys. And, you know, the, the team at a match is, is, is big. That's when, when you hear about um, matches being behind closed doors, there's still an awful lot of people involved on the OB, um, which, which is why there'll still be 300 plus people at every Premier League match, even when there's no fans. Um, there's an awful lot of people involved. Well, how, how do you reckon, like going to now, how, how do you reckon that, that will work considering, you know, the way that the virus works and, and everything? Is, is it, I guess if, if no one's got it, it's, it's still workable. You can still do it. Yes. Well, the, the honest answer is we don't know because then it, they may decide... I'm not sure who they are, but they may decide that they don't need the commentators to be at the game. They might say, you guys can be working from Sky, watching the pictures on screen, then that's someone else taken out of the equation. Having said that, they still need interviews after the match, and you know we often do that. So there's going to be a lot of things to think about, a lot of questions which... You know, the broadcasters don't have the answers to yet. I'm sure discussions are ongoing. Um, but of course, you know, the bottom line is we don't want anything happening unless it's absolutely safe to do so. And health always comes first. So your guess is as good as mine, Cameron, to be honest. <laughs> do you it'd be quite interesting to see how the, the Bundesliga sort of tr try and make it happen at work? 
yeah, I, th I think a lot of countries um, are going to be seeing how that goes, how it works, if it works. Um, you know, this constant testing, it only takes one player to test positive and then what happens if they've been involved in a game to two yeah. teams, they'll isolate for 14 days. You know, it throws the whole thing into chaos. So, yes, you know, it's interesting that they've made that decision. They've obviously had a very different experience, I think, to, to the UK just generally with COVID-19. So they've been able to make that call. Um, so we'll see, you know, other, other leagues have decided to go a completely different way. I think, you know, we desperately want to finish our season. There's an almost universal demand for that. Yeah. But uh, as I say, health has to come first. So let's wait and see. Yeah, and I remember earlier you mentioned that you worked for Opta a period yeah. of time. Obviously stats are a huge thing of uh, commentating. Uh, what what stats are useful for you, and what stats do you think I just you know I just don't need to know that that that's totally irrelevant. Well, I'm someone that doesn't like to use stats too much. Um, I I find as a viewer, if I'm watching football and I hear too many stats, I just find it incredibly irritating. Obviously, we're all different, but I've learned over the years to say less and less. Um, Funnily enough, Barry Davis in his book says, you know, if you've got nothing to add, then say nothing. You know, silence is golden. Learn when to say nothing. And I've, I've really tried to take that on board because I, when you're a young commentator being paid to commentate, you think, well, I'm being paid to talk here. I need to talk. Um, I, of course, have huge numbers of stats with me, um, but I don't use many of them. And a lot of it is context-based. You might need to use a stat when something happens, but obviously that thing might not happen. So 80% of what I prep is never used. It's just there in case. Um, I have 23 bits of info on every player, which I have in front of me, you know, ranging from how to pronounce their name, uh, their age, the number of caps, the number of goals this season, when was their last goal, what's their record against this opposition, what's their record, um, on this ground, that sort of thing. And obviously you won't say most of that on air, but you may need it at some point um, during the commentary. And I also have a whole list of things I have I want available for each team. But again, I won't use most of it. So we're very lucky at Sky that they have a team of fantastic statisticians who um, incredibly hardworking guys who produce stat packs for us um for premier league games and you know they are very comprehensive i still like to add some of my own but you know most of it is there there there's been occasions in the last 15 years where i've had to do a game at very short notice for whatever reason commentating get there from weather, weather or or traffic or whatever um and i can very comfortably comfortably do a commentary just using that stat pack um but I obviously like to be a bit more prepared than that. I like to have uh, some of my own lines in there. I usually allow a full day of prep for every game that I do. What's the main essential things then? Say if you had a few hours, your game was thrown at you last second. What are the essential things that you would get to prep? So you have a pen pick of each player, um, which obviously covers where they were signed from, how much they cost, when they sign their most recent contract, how many goals they've got this season, how many goals they've got uh, for the club and in their whole career. 
and I just condensed that down to one sheet of A4 for the players and one sheet of A4 for the two teams and the referee and the two managers. Um, and then I'll have a little script as well. I don't like to just read a script. It's just there just in case. A lot of it I, I ad-lib, but I mean, so, you know, sometimes your mind goes blank, particularly if people are talking at you at the same time. I just like to have it there just in case. Um, and I think a lot of commentators are probably the same. Again, I know some don't script anything. We're all very different. If you compare commentators' notes, they'll all be very, very different. Some <laughs> insist on handwriting them. I don't like to do that because my writing is terrible. <laughs> I do everything on the computer. Some guys don't have it on paper at all. They use tablets. Um, and I'm, you know, I would never, ever do that because I just hate relying on technology. Um, but, you know, everyone is different. But I, um, I, we, we all feel comfortable with what we do. Um, and I say, I think if you, if you laid them all out, they'd all be very, very different looking. Because I've, I'm, I've conversating at Crawley Town now, and even for me, when I have my notes uh, and the wind starts going and it, the press box is tiny and like, I'm trying to get yeah. my notes down on a tiny desk uh, you know, with a broken chair or whatever, and then the wind will just gash them away while I'm trying to commentate. Is that, is that ever been a... Not, not, well, not... Yeah, I mean, you, you learn very quickly. I, I've got those A4 books where you actually slide the paper into the plastic and then the wind can do nothing. You literally just turn the page and it's there. And again, I learned that the hard way, Cameron, because this, the second game I ever did, the Sky, um, that exact thing did happen to me, where a huge oh. gust of wind blew everything away, just as they said, cue Gary, and I was left with nothing. Oh. <laughs> so again, you know, that, that's something I learned the hard way. I know, <laughs> the, I know the post box you mean at Crawley, and it is tight, um, but that, that's what I'd recommend. Get one of those A4 books where you slide the paper in so they've got clear um, plastic folders in the middle and then you just turn the page and it can't blow anywhere. So, so it's, a, it's an A4 book and you can slide the pieces of paper into the middle of it? Yeah. Okay, okay, that's, that's, that, that's a game changer. What, how did you adapt to the, how did you adapt to the, when it happened in that match on, on cue with the paper going out? Like did ev literally everything just... Yeah, it was a disaster. The thing is that that day was a disaster anyway. I very nearly didn't make the game because um, of various travel woes. Um, there was a power outage at Euston. I had to get a taxi all the way from London to Birmingham. Um, so I was massively stressed anyway. And then a huge gust of wind. I was with Gary Berthold, who found the whole thing hilarious, by the way. Um, <laughs> down go the notes. And of course, I mentioned the directors, the two different directors. I've given them the cues for my team news so they can change the graphics. And of course, I couldn't remember everything I'd written. So I could hear the World Speed director in my head just, going, just saying, what is he doing? What, what's he saying? That's not what he told us. Oh, um, oh, oh. As I'm desperately trying to remember the changes and not gabble, that was horrendous. And then there was a goal in the second minute um, and my head was just absolutely all over the place. Um, so yeah, you, you live and learn in this job. You quickly realize um, always take a coat, even if it looks like a warm sunny day, because you just don't know. Um, always make sure you've got water with you. Plan your toilet breaks very, very carefully, because once you're there, you're there. You can't go anywhere. Um, it's a job that you can only get better at by doing, and the experience is everything. And funny enough, I was at Crawley this um, this season in the. Uh, in the League Cup when they played Colchester in the 
I don't think I joined by then. Oh, that um, wait, wait, one month. They they lost, didn't they? They lost to Colchester. Yeah, they, I think they did. They take the lead and then lost. I think, but it, it, it was it was an all lead two match for a place in the quarterfinals, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I was there, and that commentary was on Quest. You know, they cover the, uh, the oh yeah, Quest Cup. TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, but obviously, I was on the gantry, which was um, super luxurious because I was there all on my own, and it was fantastic. Is, is that is that the one in the far in the corner in between, like uh, you'd say, like north and the west stand or something? Is it like in, in no, between? no, no? It's right on the halfway line. You have to go up a ladder. Uh, it hangs down from the roof of the stand. Um, the okay. How how could we ever been using that? I have no idea. I don't. Maybe may, may health and safety by now. But I don't. I'm trying to think of what, of, of what you're saying. I don't. Unless it's been moved, it can't have been though. I don't. No, no, no. It's it's a box hanging down from the from the roof of the stand. You have, you have to climb up a ladder to get to it. Um, but that was that was brilliant. I loved being there because obviously I don't get the chance to go to many lower league grounds anymore because I'm covering the Premier League every week. So yeah, when I, when I get the opportunity to uh, to go to a ground like that, I just absolutely love it. Is that is, do, you, do you miss that at all? The sort of, sort of grassroots of football, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, you, you get a bit spoiled because there are so many Premier League regulations um, these days. So, as someone in the media, you get very, very spoiled with you know they have to have a certain um, standard of hot food um, <laughs> at, before the game and at half time. Of course, you go to Crawley. And no such regulations exist. And it's, well, you, you know the press room now. Can you even call it a room? I'm not sure. It's kind of just like a, a thoroughfare, isn't it? In fact, it, we did our interviews in, in the director's room. Yeah, I can imagine you would. Yeah, because the, the, the media room is, it's, it's what you, you basically walk through it. And there's like, a, I think it's there's a, a mini ca- Yeah, yeah, literally, literally. There's, there's not, <laughs> if everyone went in there, just stayed in there at half time, I don't think, you, I don't think you'd be able to move. But. Exactly. So, but it was, it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it, and they made they said they, they made us feel extremely welcome, which was great. Yeah, the um the hospitality and you know, the club is, as an overall vibe, in my opinion, is very very welcoming. Um, it's been pretty nice to me since I since I've been commentating. I I'd only just started. I think I was on my fourth fifth match, and then this happened. <laughs> wow. Brilliant. Yeah, I know, it's a bit, bit, bit annoying. Um, but I was, I was gonna say earlier when that when that incident happened at Sky, was it all those years of experience though, sort of. You know, helped you to deal with when that. Yeah, well, you know, they they wouldn't have given me the opportunity unless I'd had years of broadcasting experience, just because I hadn't been on TV. So, you know, I I'd done one game, so I knew the format and I knew exactly what they wanted. I just didn't have it written down. So, it was a question of talk slowly, think very carefully about who's in the team that wasn't in last week. Come on, you've written it down, so you must remember some of it. Um, and basically, that was just get through it and get to the commentary, which is the bit you know you don't need the script for. Um, but yeah, horrible, horrible experience for something that was still very new to me. So, uh, I, I could write a whole book on that on that one day, to be honest. <laughs> Should probably turn that section into like a, a, a podcast episode or audio book or something. Well, funnily enough, I did. I, I did do that. I went on uh, Matt Lucas's podcast recently um, to, to talk about. Um, there was it was a sports commentators edition. We talked about the various horror stories we've got, and that did come up. 
Was it was it, was that among, was that amongst the worst uh, as as the stories uh, went? Yeah, there, there was some pretty. Uh, I'll let you listen to it. There's some there's some horror oh. stories on it for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll called, go for... uh, you, you can find it on BBC Sounds. It's called Bitch Bitch Bitch. <laughs> okay, I'll go. I'll go find it. I'll go find. I'll, I'll go listen to it. Um, I was going to ask you earlier, just totally gone off topic, but um, so who were the, the main commentators? I imagine Barry, you know, Barry Davis and those guys. But who are the commentators that you looked up to, sort of as I guess as mentors, uh, you know, growing up? Well, yeah, the, the amazing thing was I got to know a lot of them, which was um, you know, which was fantastic. I I got to meet um, John Motson many many times because we shared a gantry at exactly one hundred times between me starting in 2005 and then him retiring, I was there on the gantry in his very last game at Crystal Palace um, a couple of years ago. And I got to know him really well, actually. Um, I still send him a text every so often just to see how he's doing. Um, and f- funnily enough, we didn't get on at all at the start. <laughs> um, I, th- I think he mellowed towards me. Um, I-, I got to know him really, we-, we were quite pally towards the end. Barry Davis, I got to meet him a few times at Wimbledon because he'd finished football by then. Obviously, he finished in 2004. Yeah. But before that, I got to spend the whole evening with him. At, um, BBC Two showed a Champions League qualifier, really random, actually, when we look back at it. It was Levski <laughs> Sofia against Chelsea. Um, this would have been 2003, two, two or three. I think I remember, and, I um, remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, he he was obviously on the the same flight as us. It was a media and players flight, and um, him and me and Kerry Dixon and a couple of others and John Murray, who was there for Five Live, um, we all went out for dinner um, the night before the game, and I managed to sort of make sure I was at the right end of the table to corner <laughs> Barry, and I probably bored him senseless for the whole evening, um, but. He was just so polite and lovely to me, and um, I got so many uh, nuggets of wisdom from him on that occasion. And I was able to speak to him a few years later at Wimbledon and remind him. He, of course, he had no memory of it whatsoever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that was it. That was fine. We, we, we had another nice chat, and he said, "Listen, I'm going to listen out for your name. Now you've told me, um, and that you know that just meant the world to me. And obviously, I got to know Martin and Rob." Um, Martin Tyler and Rob Hawthorne well because I'd, I'd seen them a lot anyway, but our paths crossed a lot more. And, you know, all the guys from the BBC who I count as really good friends, people like Guy, Mowbray and Steve Wilson and Simon Brotherton, um, you know, I see them all the time because we're often at the same game. And, and of course, you learn from all of these people because they all have their own styles and their own ideas. Um, and, you know, we do talk about it and, it, and it's great. I, you know, I'm still learning now all the time. And uh, I think, I don't think you ever stop learning in this job because there's there's so many nuances to, to commentary. Um, I've probably changed how I approach it quite a lot in the last 15 years. And like I say to you, I now talk a lot less than I used to. Um, in fact, John Champion said to me, if there's nothing happening, why don't you just put the microphone down and then that says to the common, the co-commentator, you can come in if you want to. Yep. But it just forces you to not feel you have to talk for the sake of it, you know. If you're just describing the ball going along the back four three or four times, 
you're not adding anything to the pictures there. So just say nothing. You don't need to talk all the time. And I think that's a, a lesson that you, you learn as you go along. Is that a struggle uh, for younger commentators? Like, I, I know myself now, I'm, like going from radio to TV, I think it, it would take probably a few games, I think, probably to actually to get used to it. And you hear some people who do that transition, and I feel like they, as you say, they're filling the, the air sometimes. But that you just become an irritant because you feel you have to talk all the time and you really, really don't. You, you can easily go 30 seconds saying nothing. You know, if you're sitting at a game watching the match, you don't have any commentary. You're just enjoying the match. So what's the difference when you're sitting at home? You can just enjoy the match without any commentary if there's nothing happening. You yeah. want the commentary for those big moments. Um, or, you know, if you've genuinely got something to add to the pictures, of course. But talking for talking's sake, I just think it's the worst thing you can do. How hard did you find it, say, when a I mean, Aguero moment is out of this world and rarely happens, but if, if a big moment happens, like a Rooney bicycle kick or something like that, how, how hard is it to, especially at the beginning for you, was it to sort of control your tone and not to make sure you're going you know, <coughs> crazy and, you know, because obviously well, you, yeah. you, you can be passionate, can't you? But then also, is that... Yeah, in, in the beginning, I did go crazy because I, that's what I had learned to do in radio. Um, and... You know, no one said to me, don't do that. When I stopped doing it, my producer said to me, oh, I've noticed you're a lot calmer these days. It's brilliant. I was thinking, well, you didn't tell me to, to be calmer. <laughs> uh, so, you know, a lot of it is stuff you learn yourself. You're right. Um, when those big moments come along, obviously I haven't had anything as big as an Aguero uh, moment, but, you know, you still get some big moments. And, um, you want to nail those. You want to make sure you don't say the wrong thing. Funnily enough, just before I came on this call, um, someone tagged me in some commentary. I actually did it for Chelsea TV years ago where Frank Lampard broke the record to become Chelsea's leading goal scorer. Awesome. And um, I listened to it and I was actually really pleased with what I said, but I remembered that I very nearly cocked the whole thing up because you hear me saying, Goal number 202. And actually, 202 was the one he scored before. Um, so I, I needed to say 203. So I actually said, goal number 202 has come and gone, and here's number 203. <laughs> um, and hopefully, you can't tell that it's a massive cocker. I listened to it a couple of times, and I remembered how much I'd nearly messed that up. Um, but actually, I was really pleased with the rest of what I'd said. It was not, not scripted at all. It was entirely spontaneous. I never script any commentary because I think it's one of the worst things you can do. Um, you know anyone who does that? I don't, to be honest, but I'm sure some people do because we're all different. I say back in the day, when I used to listen to Capital Gold in the 90s, yep. it was scripted because, you know, it, it was about being different, maybe being a bit cheesy, um, and yeah, and some of it was undoubtedly scripted, um, but I, I certainly would never ever do that now. I, I think that would be a big mistake. Do, do you um? So I know when the, the changeover from the TV adverts happens, do, do you script the intro, knowing you've got this long and you know the teams and the? Yeah, I, I do because, like like I say, I've got a script there. I may I might not use it because you don't know what the pictures are going to be. It may be that the the, the director has found someone really interesting in the crowd like a former manager. So you can't just stick rigidly to the script because the 
the script won't match the picture. So you've always got to be flexible. You've always got to be one eye on the script, one eye on the, on the screen, just in case something unusual happens. And if you have to divert from the script and maybe go back to it, or even just ad-lib the whole thing, then you know, you've got that flexibility. But I always like to have it there as a crutch, just in case, because you just never know. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, unpredictability of sports broadcasting. Basically, the old adage Jonathan Pierce used to say, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And that is absolutely spot on in football commentary because you'll always, always be found out if you fail to prepare. Uh, how much do you think people, like the, the general public, underestimate how much commentary prep goes in to, in, into commentary? I, I suspect most people don't give it a second thought, to be honest. Um, why would you? <laughs> I, think, I, I think a lot of people find commentary irritating. Uh, you know, and that's why I say I, I try and talk as little as possible because it's not about me, it's about the game. Um, but I think when you're, a, when you're a commentator starting out, you don't necessarily appreciate that. I think, I think you only get to realise it the more you do it and perhaps the more you watch um, I suspect most people don't have a clue about the, the prep involved or um, where you get that information from. I, I, that's what I, I would imagine. I don't know. I mean, my, you know, my, my kids have often asked me, funny enough, I've got two boys and I've, I've shown them um, what I do to prep and they're like, God, do you have to do that for every game? They, they, were, like, they, were, they were dumbfounded. Um, I, I think they thought, God, this is actually quite nerdy. Um, <laughs> You know, and it is nerdy. I actually hate the prep side of it. Some of the commentators I know really enjoy it. I absolutely hate it. I just want to be at the game. But you can't do one without the other. Um, you know, <laughs> they go together. So it's yeah. just a necessary evil for me. And is, that, is that how you see it, the, the prep, the yeah. necessary evil? Yeah. Absolutely. Because um, I, I guess you just—is it that sense that you have to you have to know it in case it comes up? Yeah, exactly. That's what I said to you. Eighty percent of it you'll never use, but you have to basically cover all bases. You know, the right back who's never scored in his life today might be the day when he gets that first goal, and you need to know how many appearances he's made in his career and for that club. Um, and maybe even for his country, and add them all up, and, and you've got to have them at your fingertips. The likelihood is you won't use it, but you've got to have it ready just in case. Um, so. Do you get to recycle stats? Um, say you do Chelsea, then you, 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 you do Chelsea, then six games later. Do some of them still work? I imagine some stats don't. No, have... maybe two games later, I might okay. do a bit of copying and pasting. Um, what's really great is if you do the same team back to back that really cuts down the <laughs> amount of work but having said that obviously they're playing a different team so you've still got to research the record between the two and all the players records against that different opposition so it does cut it down obviously um but um that that's the dream if you do the same team maybe two or three games in a row then suddenly the amount of prep time has been slashed and that's fantastic so, so was the prep time when you uh, when you were with Chelsea? Did that decrease massively then in comparison to changing? Of course, because yeah, I, mean, I was. You know, I'm not a Chelsea fan, but I was living and breathing Chelsea. I was full time at the club. I was doing every single game. Um, you know, I could probably have got away with doing hardly any prep, to be honest, because 
you know, radio, as you know, is very different. It's not about stats, is it? You're, you're, you're basically telling people who's got the ball, where the ball is, what the score is, what's happening. Stats are very much secondary in radio. TV is completely different because you don't have to perform that duty. You might say the player's names, who's in possession, but TV is all about adding to the pictures that people can already see. Whereas in radio, you're painting the pictures that they don't have. So, um, I, as I say, well, doing radio at Chelsea, I could get away with doing a lot less prep, which is just as well, because I was doing an awful lot of other things on that radio station, as well as commentating. Um, like I say, I was a sports editor, and I was, we had a sports show every day. We had sports bulletins during the day. We had to program stuff for overnight and the following day. So the commentary was, uh, was actually quite a small part of it. It was a big part, but in terms of the whole job, it was quite a small part. Did you find, because you're absorbing so much Chelsea anyway, that your, your prep time, you, you, you probably knew quite a lot of it, I imagine, from the... Exactly. A lot of it was already in my head. I knew how many goals everyone had um, for that season. I'd still have it at my fingertips, just in case, because you don't want to get it wrong. That's the worst thing you can do in the club's own station is to get it wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, gosh. It, yeah. it was all up here. Yeah, because the, 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 the fans uh, will definitely remind you because they'll, they'll know, won't they? So, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And they did, many times. <laughs> <laughs> um, how much prep would you do for radio matches in comparison to, I guess, TV matches and vice versa? I, as you say, I imagine a TV is just way more than, than radio. Well, obviously, I don't do a lot of radio these days. I mean, I did the last three major tournaments for TalkSport, which was brilliant. I've done some FA Cups for them as well and, and one or two Premier League games. Um, so you know, I, I do the same amount, really. Um, I suppose what I'm saying is I probably use even less of, um, of the prep and radio. One of the last games I did actually was when um, Newport County beat Leicester in the FA Cup. I did that game for TalkSport with Ray Houghton. And, and funnily enough, I, I had an awful lot of prep, but... The ground was so packed and the, the commentary position, it wasn't in the press box. It was just some random table in amongst the fans. Um, and I was like this. I, I couldn't even <laughs> look at my notes. You were talking about crawling. I actually ended up with the notes on the floor. So oh, I, did the whole thing with, I, I did the whole thing with no notes whatsoever. Um, and you can do that in radio because, like I say, you're a big FA Cup tie like that when you're surrounded by fans. It's all about the atmosphere, the story. It's not about, you know, the last thing that people listening in their cars want to know is a whole stream of stats. That is just so secondary. Um, it was much more about bringing that drama and that atmosphere um, with the crowd noise. That, that's how I saw it. And I think that's how the station saw it as well. So I did, although I was uncomfortable not having access to those stats, um, it proved to me that it can be done. In that, in that circumstance when it was all about the story. Uh, on, on, on the stats then, um, and the commentary prep, like what, what are the best resources, sort of online and offline? Because um, obviously today, I imagine it's way easier with the, with the internet than maybe it was for the commentators back in the day. Well, there's a lot of resources, but it doesn't mean they're all accurate. That's the problem. <laughs> um, like yeah. I say, with Sky, we're very fortunate that we have access to all of those grids with accurate data in um so you know even for crawley colchester i had access to those grids uh, so i knew i was working with accurate stats very very 
difficult to make sure everything you do is accurate. And I think you, a lot of it involves comparing different data and checking that they match. Maybe even going to the clubs themselves and saying, look, I'm commentating on this game. Would you mind sending me any data you've got um, which could help me out? And they're usually very happy to help because they want they want you to be accurate as well, you know? Yeah. They want you to, to, to present the, the correct data to, to people watching. So, you know, when I'm doing cup ties involving small, um, smaller clubs, I'll, I'll usually get in touch with the clubs themselves and ask for their assistance, and they're usually more than happy to help. Would you advise young commentators as well, say if they're at a match, to you know, maybe try and have a chat with a coach or something? Of or... course. Well, I mean, listen, you know, when I get to a game, a three o'clock kickoff, I'm there before 12, and I will always speak to um, the local radio commentators for each team and have a chat and, you know, just see how they view recent form, what the managers have said to them, what the players have said to them, because they, they're working with those guys all the time. Um, and yeah, if you can talk to the coaches, I mean, sometimes the managers are really happy to talk off air, which is great. They're not always. Um, <laughs> the, last, the last Premier League game I did actually was at Southampton against Newcastle before, uh, before the lockdown. And um, I had a really great chat with both Steve Bruce and Ralph Hasenhutl before the game. And they were really happy to chat um, and, you know, give me a few updates on injuries and things like that. And it's brilliant because you can just toss that into the commentary and say, well, Steve Bruce told me before the game. Um, and it just shows that you've, you've gone that extra mile, I suppose. If, if you can, then it really adds a great deal. But obviously, it's not always possible. I know you talked to me before about um, managers and interviewing them post-match as well after you've done commentating. So how, how hard of a skill or different of a skill is that uh, post-match interviewing compared to commentating? But also, I guess, it, does it depend on how, on how, I guess, receptive the manager is for the interview? Does that make it a lot easier? Yeah, well, the, the problem there is now that there's um, quite a tight deadline the Premier League have between... Um, when the game ends and when the interviews have to be done by. So yeah. a lot of the time, there's some grounds, you might be quite a long way away from the tunnel where you're commentating, frequently on the other side of the ground, of the pitch. Yeah. So it's quite a long way to get there. Frequently you get there and the manager's waiting to be interviewed. So you don't really have any time to think about questions. And there's always that worry that you forget to ask something really important so you go you have to go from commentator mode to reporter mode very very quickly and you know when you're making that mad dash down to the tunnel you're you're thinking in your head i must ask this i mustn't forget to ask this because that's really that's just as important and of course you know you don't want to wade in with some really controversial questions straight off because you don't want to get their back up and then you get nothing out of them equally you're aware that on soccer saturday they might only play the first two questions so you want to make sure you get something interesting in as well. So there's a difficult balance there. Um, having said that, if you can't stick a mic in a manager's face and ask a couple of questions without getting it wrong, then you're probably in the wrong job. <laughs> I, would, I would say so, especially considering you've just watched it for 90 exactly. minutes as well, commentated on it, yeah, probably. Um, but for example, I've heard Steve Bruce is pretty easy to talk to in comparison yeah. to other managers. Does, does that... Does that... Yeah. Does that, does, that, does that help the job or does it you know, oh, God, it makes it so much easier because you know you can ask him anything and he won't be offended <laughs> um and i have done you know, I, I find most managers are absolutely fine actually you know of course 
you know, they might have lost in the last minute. Um, I remember Roy Keane when he was at Sunderland. He, he was he was denied a last minute winner for a controversial handball. Yeah, and um, I, I was terrified of having to ask him about <laughs> it because he came in and he was just visibly fuming. Um, where he was supposed to be standing, someone had dumped some kit. So you know that. Do you expect me to stand there? So you know that was just that was awful. But um, you know, awful in terms not awful as in awful, but awful as in. I just want to get this over with, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Generally speaking, you know, most managers accept this as a part of the job and they just got to do it and, and and they're happy to do it. Listen, Cameron, I'm, I hate to rush you, but I've, I'm going to have to go now. Have you got enough there? I, I, I have I have gone off a really... I was, about, I was literally about to ask because I just literally looked, literally looked to be an hour. Can I ask one more question? Okay, go on quickly. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, what's the main advice you wish you were given uh, when you decided to become uh, a, co- a commentator? Yeah, gosh. Um, I wish someone had told me um, to talk less. That's the first thing, because that's something I just had to learn myself. Um, I think making that transition from radio TV to TV, I wish someone had said to me, be less excitable. Just remember the differences between the two mediums. It took me a long time to make that difference. I mean, don't get me wrong, I wasn't talking all the time, far from it. But yep. I, I, I watch early TV commentaries and just think, why are you still talking? <laughs> why are you saying that? Um, I think I just needed to relax a bit more. And like I said to you, I think you only get to understand that and make those changes by doing it. And, and learning the job and you can only learn the job by doing it so I think they expect you to make those mistakes knowing that you'll learn from them and I did learn from them but I just wish someone had perhaps said to me after the first game that was good but look at this and and, and listen back to that and think how could I have done that differently you know I think um, that if I was um, a producer with a new commentator, I would definitely want to work closely with them to make them understand what bits were good and what bits weren't. So, so f- basically, f- uh, good critical feedback to improve yourself. Exactly. And there isn't a lot of that in this industry, to be honest, um, wherever you work. And I think it is absolutely critical. To, to, to get the feedback on, on your actual commentaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think so. Um, having said that, of course, they're thinking, well, you know, you're doing the job, so you must be good enough up to a point. I just think there's, there's always ways that you can improve. Um, and I think it wouldn't hurt for people to tell you, um, not just on social media, <laughs> not, not, not just in abusive tweets, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but you know, for so, someone you respect to say, what you did there was great, but perhaps that bit wasn't so good. Have another listen and think about how you could have done it differently. That would have been great. And I th- maybe that goes on more now. I'm not sure. It certainly didn't when I first started. So, so the, the main one for you is talk less and get, get feedback from people who know what they're talking about, really. Yeah. Brilliant. Totally, yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Gary, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate your time. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you know when this is on the internet and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Brilliant. So, all the best, Cameron. Take Thanks care. Thanks for time, Gary. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheerio.